tell you what, I got a family of communicators over there. Look at that. All right, how are you doing? It's good to see everybody back coming out of the lethargy of snow frost and Jack Frost's effects on Athens, Texas. It's good to see everybody. Last week, we just did online services, so we, we actually had people out and uh, we're serving people in need. So we were, we were gathering anything that we could get. We were going one part of the Henderson County to get some eggs, another part to get some milk, and another part to get some water. And I mean, it, it was just a unique way of living last week. And so there was about eight families, I think, that we were able to supply needs for. And so we were out being the church. And many of our people, many of you were out uh, taking care of needs, emergency needs. And so we just thought, we don't want to get everybody out. Everybody's probably in a traumatic phase right now, trying to assess the damage in their own house. And I, I mean, I myself had come to find out three tankless hot water heaters that went out. I, I didn't know you needed to drain a tankless hot water heater. I know now. You, got, you get me the first time. You get me the first time. And I, uh, we'll see what happens next time. I'm, I'm definitely prepared or going to be prepared more uh, you know, we were talking, Kevin and Dean and I were talking out front, you know, you, pr- you plan for the worst. Well, our worst hadn't been this worst yet. And so uh, I think only Scott McCurley knew what was coming. <laughs> so the, the prophet Scott knew exactly <laughs> what, what to do. So he, he actually let us know, hey, put some insulation in your water meter box and, you know, it, that way it won't, fr- it won't, it won't uh, freeze. Well, it didn't. But everything else down the line did, <laughs> so it's all good. Uh, thankfully, uh, I celebrated through the trial, and, and really, the message, I, I stopped our message series, Key of the Heart, to kind of split in and put in a message that was more appropriate for last week, and, and it basically comes down to this, you know, there was, there was a time where Jehoshaphat, three kings, uh, Israel, king of Israel, king of Edom, and a king of, uh, of Judah, Jehoshaphat, they had gone out into the wilderness because the king of Moab was coming against uh, Jehoram, which was the son of Ahab and Jezebel, where they went out into the wilderness to go to this fight, and they got out there, and there was no water. So there they were out there in this place, three kings, with all the resources in the world, panicking because they had no water. Oh, God, let us out here to die. And I bet some of you probably felt that way a little bit last, last week. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't have any water. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here until last night, until last night, boiling water and, and putting it in a, in, a, in a jug and putting it in another jug to bathe myself like this. You know, it's going to be all right. You know what we did? We didn't have water. We went out and scooped snow, and we melted snow, and we, we drank and bathed in snow. It's, it's, sometimes God takes you out into a place to get you out of your comforts to get your attention so you'll actually listen to him. And that's exactly what happened with these three kings. Jehoshaphat said, hey, there is a prophet. There's, there's a man of God. Let's see what he has to say. So I, I just want you to make note of where you were spiritually these last week and a half, two weeks, because it may be that God was allowing, not causing, allowing some pressure to be put on your spiritual lives so that you can see where the frailties are, just like your water lines, your power, just to put enough pressure, not that you'll break, but it'll reveal some areas of faith that needs to be strengthened. Does that make sense? Okay. That's your word for, for last week. Anyway, since you weren't here, there you got it. Well, uh, I, I, I love, we love, you know, we're Thrive Community Church. We love how much you guys come out and you're in the, for, in the entry, and I'm giving some, some corrective action right here. So uh, this is going to remind you of when you got a spanking. Uh, we love that you love to hang out and have a good time and communicate and conversate and build relationships. We're all about that. But in front of the kids' check-in, Whenever there's a mom that's coming in stressed and needs to check her kids in and she can't get there because a loving group of people are just sitting there chatting it up and talking and having a good time and blocking that check-in, would you just be aware that you are right there and, and kind of keep each other responsible and accountable? Say, hey, let's go hold this conversation over by the water cooler, over by the coffee, or outside, you know, just, just, just to make it a little easier for those moms that are struggling to get their kids checked in. Could you do that for me? All right, but hey, don't worry. We are working on a plan to make a bigger entryway so that we can chat more, all right? It's just going to require another building. <laughs> That's all it's going to take, but we're going to get there. So uh, speaking in light of that, we're, talk- we're going to have Vision Sunday. 
Vision Sunday in a couple of weeks. Uh, that's going to be March 14th, March 14th, and that's where we're going to just cast vision again. I do this once or twice a year. Cast vision on who Thrive is, why we exist, uh, you know, who needs another, why do we need another church in Henderson County? Well, we're going to tell you. We want to invite you to invite your friends, your coworkers, your family members, uh, city leaders. We're inviting them to come. Because we are gonna be a part of Henderson County, we want Henderson County to know why we exist and what God has, has put on, Henderson, on Thrive Community Church for Henderson County and abroad. And so we're gonna cast vision. I'm gonna give you just enough vision that you can handle, um, just enough to kind of stretch you and make you a little overwhelmed but not blow your mind, okay? I'm not gonna scare you too much. Uh, then tonight is Love Thy Neighbor, where we churches get together and we worship together and we, we praise God together and according to the house of worship that we are in. And then another speaker or pastor in, in Henderson County will come and teach and, and give the word. We're just center everything on Jesus. There's a lot of different approaches to the gospel and there's a lot of different perspectives, but we just center where we agree and that is on Jesus Christ and our salvation in him and him alone, amen? Well, that's tonight at Gates Community Church that is on the other, other side of town uh, near the Y behind, somewhere behind Long John Silver's and the old United Pentecostal Church, if you know where that is. And so Gates Community Church tonight at 6 p.m. And Pastor Eric Graham from Sand Springs Baptist Church will actually be bringing the word. So uh, join us over there if you can. Uh, we wanna just be kingdom-minded people plugged into a church, Thrive Community Church, if you're here, if this is your home, but we wanna be a part of the body. And so we don't wanna be silos. God never calls anybody to be a silos, never calls any, called anybody to be disconnected from a local church either. Y'all hear me? A lot of people think they're kingdom people, but they don't get plugged into a local church. But they are. Well, you'll figure it out. So today is Thrive Tribe. We're kicking off our Thrive Tribes. It's Find Your Tribe Day. Get plugged in. Thrive Tribes is a, a place where you can get plugged in. And I want everybody to get plugged into a Thrive Tribe, honestly, to take off that mask to reveal what's really going on and what you'll find is other people are going through things too. It's not just you that have had some struggles or are having some struggles, but it is finally a place where you can find freedom, confidentiality, because what happens in a tribe stays in a tribe. It's, it, it, it's built on that. You, you can't have growth in a body of people unless there's confidentiality, there's privacy, there's love with accountability and a movement towards next steps on a spiritual journey. You just, you just can't. You will never have a thriving church, and God's church, his body, will never thrive unless we have confidentiality. But you need a place. If, if COVID-19, if 2020 didn't reveal to you that you need a people group, a people around you in tough times, if this last winter storm didn't show you, hey, I need some people in times of need to pray with me, to, to give me some bottles of water, to, to uh, give me some gasoline when I need some gasoline. Uh, it, there, this, is not, this is not the end of, I'm not here to declare bad times, but times are hard and they're not just gonna all of a sudden get better. And so we need try, we need people. We need people who love us and that we love so we can, we can help each other grow spiritually and challenge each other in a healthy way, in a loving way. And so uh, we can do that. We, we can start to get plugged in because we talked about that. Like, what are my next steps during our fast and prayer? Lord, what are my next steps? And for some of you, that's actually getting plugged in with the body of believers. And some of the, some of the, some of the the issues of life won't get handled and dealt with and you get set free until you start to get into a circle, a close, tight-knit circle with other believers, some that are further along than you and some that are further behind. Get out of the circle of unbelievers and into the circle of believers, all right? All right, there's enough, there's enough, enough of that. So I do love you. And, and I'm hoping the best for you. I'm praying for you. This is all set up for your success. So uh, we are in our series. Again, Keys of the Heart. Pastor Alan Coleman from Gates Community talked about loving the person that is near. Just, just, just love somebody. Just love people near you. And last week or two weeks ago, we were talking about the key of priority. Key of priority. And it says, for, th for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother 
And that wasn't just for Adam and Eve. Uh, we know that they didn't have a mother. In fact, you'll know who Adam and Eve is in heaven. Do you know how? They'll be the only two without a belly button. Doesn't that bless you? Doesn't that bless you? Before marriage, though, before marriage, mom and dad were first. That, that, that blood bond, there's nothing greater than that blood bond. But in marriage, and when marriage takes place, there's a spirit bond that takes place. And there's nothing greater in the kingdom of God than a spirit bond. Two people God places together to, for their spirit to be knit together with him. There's nothing greater, there's no greater bond than that. And it says, for, this, for the sake of marriage, we have to release everything that's in our way, everything in our grasp, so that we can grab hold and make priority of our spouse. The spouse has to become number one. That's the key of priority. Marriage is a declaration saying, I choose you over everything and anything every day. Nothing else can take your place. And that, that's challenging, and it always has to be challenged. Whatever you're doing constantly has to be challenged, if you're in a marriage, of its position of priority. Well, the key, too, follows this. It follows, for this cause, a man will leave his mother and father, father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And this English word doesn't really depict what cleave really means. You know, when you think cleave, you think like a meat cleaver, right? And that's what it feels, you know, sometimes you're like, that's what it feels like in my marriage. Well, that's, that's not, what it is, not what it is. This word cleave literally means debak. It's debak in the Hebrew language. It means to pursue with all of your energy. So when, so when, so when the husband leaves mother and father, he chooses to pursue with all of his energy his spouse, and vice versa. When wife, when, when woman leaves mother and father, she is choosing to be, to be wedded, to be married. She is choosing to pursue with all of her energy her husband. That's what cleave literally means, debauch in this, this situation. Cre uh, chemistry never creates a great marriage. Chemistry creates attraction. It creates great friendship, but energy put into the relationship is what creates a great marriage. If you, you fall in love because you work hard on the relationship and you fall out of love because you stop working on the relationship. So relationships take a lot of work. You did a lot of work in the relationships in the beginning when you were dating, when you first got married. But things change. And so because of this, marriage has problems and they get exposed really, really quickly. Problem one is this, selfishness. Selfishness. Uh, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit uh, because I want to tell you about the servant rules today. I want to give you the key to this little, this little heart is the servant rules and it has to do with pursuit. But marriage only works when we serve each other. When two people fall in love, they fall in love because they serve each other. And two people fall out of love because they stop serving each other. God created marriage because it will bless us and fulfill us. But when we're not willing to put the energy into a marriage that it requires, we no longer feel blessed and we live a life that's unfulfilled. So if, if we're living in a marriage and we feel unfulfilled, there may be some indicators. Those are just fruits to point to the solutions and the problems, the problems and the solutions that I'm about to reveal to you today. Your marriage, wherever it is, can be fixed, can be repaired, can be restored if we just make awareness, these keys, place the, place the solutions into our problem and allow God to do the rest of it. Let me give you those, okay? Because people can't meet their own needs, we need others. We need our spouse for that, sake, that purpose. And in marriage, we are sworn to fidelity, which means we are at the mercy of the other person in every aspect. That's why marriage only works if we serve each other. Again, problem one is this is selfishness. Because whenever, whenever there's issues, whenever there's frailties, just like in your water pipes, just like in your spiritual life, and whenever there's frailties, things that are just being getting by, whenever problems, whenever issues, whenever pressures come along, those problems begin to get magnified. And problem number one 
is selfish, selfishness. Marriage is brutal on selfish people. And selfish people truly struggle in a marriage. They truly struggle to feel fulfilled in any marriage. And so oftentimes they'll bounce from one marriage to another marriage to another relationship to another relationship because they're always seeking how their needs can be fulfilled. Every husband has what his wife needs and every wife has what his husband need, her husband needs. And this is, the proof in this is that we fell in love and you, you are willing and able to put the energy and the time that was required to meet one another's needs when you were first dating or when you first got married. And if you'll, if you'll compare yourself to a, a customer service in your favorite store, right? So you go into a store and, and one another, you know, each other are, are your own separate stores. You, you start meeting, you meet, you start to get to know each other. You're in there shopping in her store. Guys, like, ooh, hmm, you have this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me go, I'll be right back. Here you go. Here it is. Oh, man, that's nice. And then you're thinking, and you may not say this, but you're thinking, mm, I wonder if you've got this. Oh, yes, absolutely. Here it is. Here you go. I had it on the bottom shelf. Here you go. I just wanted to make it easy for you to get. Oof, like that. Oh, what about this? Oh, yeah, we have that too. But that's, that's in the when you married me section, and my dad, that's my dad over there protecting it right there. But when you get to know him, he may let you pass that when we get married. And that's the way it is whenever you're first dating and get to know each other and you meet that, that woman or ladies, you meet that man and you're wondering, oh, I wonder if he's got this. I wonder if he's got that. Oh, I wonder if he can take care of this. Yeah. You're sitting there wondering, can he meet my needs? Can she meet my needs? Is she going to be able to fulfill what I have, what I need, what I want? And you married one another because you shopped in each other's store before you were married and you loved what they had to offer and you loved what they had on their shelf. And, but as soon as they became a loyal customer, you got lazy and you quit taking care of them. Hmm. And the things that made you fall in love are the same reasons that now you're falling out of love. And everything you need, everything your spouse needs is in your store. And everything you need is in your spouse's store. And the mercy, but you are at the mercy of one another in the marriage. You can't go shopping outside of that store. You can't go down the road to another store. You can't go to another city to another store. Nobody will know. You are in committed to fidelity in that store. That is your shopping location, and that is all you get. So that means you are, you are at the mercy of their attitude. I, see, I hear some men saying amen under their, you're at the mercy of their work ethic. I hear some women saying amen under the, the, the mercy of them loving, of you loving them enough to serve them and meet their needs and them loving you enough to serve you and meet your needs. You're at, you can't go anywhere else. You're stuck to that situation. And so how are we going to deal with these circumstances? Because you ain't shopping out, outside of my store and I'm not shopping outside of your store. So we need to make some changes. Number two problem is this, pride and domination. Pride and domination. Dominance ruins intimacy and you never have intimacy in a marriage or a relationship when dominance is present. It completely destroys any intimacy that is present. Trust, security, acceptance, Safety is all pushed away when dominance is present in that relationship. The dominant, uh, the dominant party is oftentimes the most selfish party as well. They spend their time dominating so that they can get their own needs met. And whenever they're not, they'll start grumbling and complaining and whining and growing, groaning and making it difficult for anybody else in that situation or circumstance or relationship or family until everybody is conformed to do what it is that the one that, who is dominating the relationship is finally wanting to get done. And that happened when the disciples were there as well, by the way. Uh, Luke 20, in, in a situation with the disciples and Jesus, Luke twenty two twenty four 24 says this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. 
And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You see, the greatest is the one who serves. In the world, ascension means and creates privilege. But in the kingdom, servant, ascension creates responsibility. The, the higher I go up in the kingdom, the more responsibility I actually have. The more I've let go of my rights and I've sacrificed, I've increased my responsibilities. Because the greatest in the kingdom is the one who is servant of all. In the kingdom, the servant is the greatest. If you use your position to dominate, you're not Christ-like. And if you're dominating your spouse, you're not Christ-like. Dominance is gender neutral, by the way. There is as many women that are dominant that dominate the relationship as there are men that dominate the relationship. And here's a, here's a little dominance question for you. If you're, if you're with your parents, and I see some heads going back and forth, and I see some that are just focused, like, I don't want to move. I don't want them to know that what I'm thinking is, they are the dominant one. And if I move, I'm going to hear it after church. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> I see it. You wonder, how does the pastor know all these things? It just makes sense. So how many, how many of you were raised in a home where one, and if you're, if you're, if you're with kids, don't answer, were raised in a home where one parent was clearly dominant over the other? Just raise your hand. Okay, okay. I'm waiting. That's okay. I'm gonna give you some time. Wait. I'm gonna get you more comfortable. They're everybody wondering, can I? Can I? Okay, um, there's some kids here. Y'all gonna get spanked when you get home. All right, all right, very good. All right. So how many of you, of you who raised your hand, would say that that that, that dominance had a negative effect on your parents' marriage and upon the family? The same hand, oh, except for one, except for Scott. Uh, the same, <laughs> the same amount almost would say the very same thing. Isn't that interesting? And, and no matter where you go, it's the same. It's not just Thrive Community Church. No matter where you go, it's the same answer, same setup, same situation. No one ever has to wonder, hmm, where's anybody dominant in my family? It's like, it's clear. Yep, yep, for sure. This, never, this happens when the dominant party is in the marriage to get their own needs met. This is, this is not an equal relationship. Uh, you take care of me and I'll take care of me. And the good news is you get to benefit from me taking care of me and you taking care of me too. That's the attitude and the behaviors, knowing or unknowingly, of the dominant party, the dominant individual. We don't have a dominant God, though. Jesus was there washing the disciples' feet. Jesus was a shepherd. Jesus did not lead from the back, pushing the sheep forward. A shepherd is one who is leading from the front and guiding the sheep along the way. Jesus is a servant. Uh, Jesus was a foot washer and he was humble and he's not a dominant God. And to resemble that, is to be godly, to be to be dominant is not Christ-like, and to rela relax and not be dominant, and to lead with love, with accountability and truth, grace and mercy, they all have to be encompassed, is to lead as a shepherd. Dominance destroys intimacy and goodwill in a relationship, and everyone resents it. So we have to serve our spouse and be humble doing it. Problem number three is this, a, world, a worldly concept of success. A lot of people that think that being successful means being served and being at the top. Well, that's a worldly concept of what success is. Matthew 23, 11 says this, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You will know who the greatest is in the room because they're serving others. You will know that how, how what God thinks about individuals and others because of their heart towards serving other people. 
you will know who the greatest individual who truly supports the strength of that family because of their servant's heart. And so it may look like one party, but in God's eyes, it's the other one who is getting the grace to actually be the leader in that family. A place, where, uh, a place where you get the greatest service is where you go the most, right? Uh, where the greatest waiter is, the one that just loves on you, that, that tends to your needs, that serves you, that's always focused. They always see whenever your tea, your sweet tea is just almost half, half full, right? They're already over there. You don't have to wait. You don't have to say, hey, so-and-so. They're just, they're on it. They're bringing the tea. They're bringing it around. And, and you will always be the happiest when you're serving. And you will always be most unhappy when you are waiting to be served. So the most, usually the most unhappy person in the family is the one who's waiting around grumbling because they're not getting served when they want to get served. Ouch, yeah, greatest marriage is two, ser- the greatest marriage is two servants in love. The worst marriage is two selfish people in love. It doesn't mean they don't love each other. They're just two selfish people. That can all be changed. That can all shift. You will always be the happiest when you're serving. That works, uh, that works in every aspect of the kingdom as well. It's the same in marriage as it is in the church. You see the happiest people, they're wandering around church, around, around serving. You see the most unhappy people, the one that come in and go sit down and we got a lot of problems this week. Need everybody to pray for me before church because just got a bunch of problems. Well, maybe if you take your problems, your mind off yourself and start putting them on other people, you might, be, you might feel freedom. You might feel some peace. You might feel some love. You might be like, huh, I feel great. Well, that's because Jesus says the one who serves feels great. In fact, is the greatest. Stepping on toes, it's a tough crowd today. I know you've been in a lethargy for a while in the frost. I'm just trying to knock off the, put some antifreeze on you. I love you. And it's the same way in business, though. The one who's serving everybody else and the one who's taking care of the needs of others, an owner or a boss or a CEO says that and say, hmm, they're making themselves valuable. I think I need to elevate them. They can take care of some things. It's the same way. And in most cases, the servant is happier than the one who is being served because they're not waiting around for something to happen. They are taking initiative and they are making things happen. Can I get an amen? Problem number four is this, ignorance of God's nature. We know in John 13 that, the, that Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. In John 21, though, in Jesus, in his resurrected and glorified body, what does he do? He shows up on the scene. He shows up on the beach, on the playa, and there he is already with fish as, as Peter and the disciples are out there fishing, bringing in their nets. 153 it was the catch, and yet there Jesus is saying, what are you doing? I, I've got fish. I'm already making breakfast for you. What was he doing? He was showing the eternal nature of God. It is to be a servant. And did you know that God is actually serving you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year? Did you know that while Jesus was on the cross dying for you and I, and he was, he was doing something, he was serving you and I, because, not because of what we were doing or why, why we, what, he, what he thought we should, doing, we should be doing. He was serving us while we were doing it completely opposite of what he desired for us to do because he is a servant. The heart of a servant doesn't matter what the other person is doing. The heart of a servant serves anyway. And so Jesus, as a God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit serves you and I 24 hours a day. God the Holy Spirit is our our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our friend. He's our helper. He's our advocate. Uh, Jesus is our high priest. He's at the right hand of the Father Father interceding for you and I. We have every benefit to have a successful marriage and a successful life and a successful business and the thriving church because all Three entities of the triune, the Trinity, is constantly serving us. Hallelujah. Yes, thank you, Matt. Yes. We have a we have a ignorant, ignorant understanding of God's nature. It's just a lack of knowledge. You're not stupid. You're not dumb. 
It's just a misunderstanding, a lack of understanding of what God is doing for you and I right now in this very moment. He is actually advocating for your marriage. He is actually slowly trying to give you information, whether it be through me or through the Holy Spirit that he's speaking into your heart during moments like this, that he's saying, hey, if we can just do some of these things, we can realign your marriage and it'll look more like me. This will be so good. You ought to do it. I'm going to give you some benefits here in a minute. But did you know that you are being served 24 hours a day? And if anyone in the universe could be exempt from serving, it would be God, but he chose not to. He could easily say, no, all of you are going to serve me. But instead, he says, no, I'm going to serve all of you. God made marriage to demonstrate his character. And you can see this in Genesis 1 and Ephesians 5 to the whole world. And the only marriage that demonstrates Christ to the whole world is a servant marriage. Because that's the marriage that identifies with the the identity of Christ Jesus himself. Where a wife serves her husband and a husband serves his wife. So let me give you this, this concept, this key, serve. It's an acrostic, meaning for each letter, I've got a, a meaning that comes out of it and put it this way together for you. So hopefully you'll actually remember when it comes time to just love your spouse, to just serve. And serve is this, serve, serve what your spouse needs in spite of what you need, want, or, or, or understand. Serve what your spouse needs, not your needs, what your spouse needs. If you, if you marry someone normal, listen, they're not gonna be like you. They're normal. But you are too. But you're normal and they're normal opposite sides of the room. I wasn't gonna say this. But guys, If you marry somebody that's always chill, always cool, always down to do what you want to do and do the same places and go the same places and do the same things, you likely didn't marry a woman. You married a dude. (laughs) Shouldn't have said it, but I had to. Some of you are going to have to have a talk later, but (laughs) there are major needs. Their major needs are not your major needs, and your major needs are not their major needs. So a man's man's number one need is honor. I'm telling you, it doesn't take much for us to get offended and defensive and whatever if we feel dishonored or disrespected. And so it comes with body language, comes with tone of voice, it comes with attitude, it comes with all of that, mannerisms, it comes with all of that. And that's communicating to us honor or dishonor, respect or disrespect. And at the moment that that happens, our translation of interpret and our interpretation of understanding and hearing just shifts according to how we feel in that moment, likely disrespected. But if we're honored, whew, yeah, whatever you say, that's exactly where I'll go. You just make me feel, I lied to me. It's fine. Just make me feel honored while you're doing it. (laughs) The number two is sex. Listen, 20% of of women have a a greater sex drive than men. That means 80% of men have a great need for true physical intimacy leading to sex. It doesn't matter who has a greater sex drive. It just matters of sacrificially serving the needs of the other person because that's what they need, not about what you need. Three is this, friendship. We want to do fun stuff together that we enjoy. (laughs) Not just what you enjoy. We don't just want, ladies, we don't want to just go to first Mondays in Canton every month just because that's what you want to do. Like, we want to go ride four-wheelers and stuff sometimes, too. We want to go shoot guns as well. We'll go to Canton, but on the way home, let's go let's stop by and get some side-by-sides and go for a ride. Something, we didn't want to do something that's fun to us as well. I got your back, guys. And let me hear the, we don't want to be mothered. We had a mother, and we don't need another. Amen. All of a sudden, that mother's nature just comes out, and that, you know, that, that, that wonderful, loving nature comes out in a woman and thinks, oh, my husband can't take care of himself. He can't make decisions on his own. Let me make his decisions for him now. We don't need a mother. We got one. She was great. That's why we moved out of her house, though. 
Number four, domestic support. And that doesn't mean that men don't have their share of responsibilities around the house because we should. That serves the wife in that area. But there's women have a knack to turn a house into a home. And for us, it makes us feel good when we have a wife who just takes a, a brick structure or metal structure and turns it into something beautiful. Men's, bed, men's idea of a, of, a, of, a, of a made bed is one pillow and a sheet, you know? <laughs> we can't fathom multiple pillows. It's like, knock all those off. Let me give you that one that I want. Maybe one to hold, you know, <laughs> one to straddle. But women have needs too. Number one is security. A woman's greatest need is met when she has a selfless, thoughtful husband that actually acts upon his thoughts. Doesn't just sit at the armchair and, well, I thought about it but that was a good commercial. Uh, <laughs> number two is non-sexual affection. Non-sexual affection. Now, there, now, there's not a cell in a man's body that understands this. <laughs> there's just a trigger that says, oh, you want affection? I know where this is leading. <laughs> when she says she wants you to hold her hand, she wants you to hold her hand. When she says, just hold me, she just wants you to hold her. That's it. Trust me, ma'am. That's it. Number three, open and honest communication. Now, this is similar uh, to men, for men, as, a, as sex is. So this is men and, and, and women. Uh, the way that men express their emotions is through sex. Men, the way that women express their emotions is through open, honest, and clear communication, back and forth communication. And so, and the more you talk openly and honestly with your spouse, the more open that she will become towards you. Allie, uh, you know, whenever I would go to events or I'd go to events or go and do things, whatever it is, uh, come to work one day and she's not there, she goes, okay, well, well who'd you see? Uh, what'd they say? Well, what, what did the others say? Who else was there? What did they think about what you said? What did they think about what we're gonna do next? It's like, it's one question after the next, like, yuck, just stop. You know, and, and it's never enough. And let me just tell you guys, the more you give one-liner short, one-word answers, it gets longer, the conversation gets longer and longer and longer. And you're thinking, oh, she's just nosy, I'm not gonna feed this monster. And the only way, to, only way to kill a monster is to not feed it, right? And so you just, you just try to avoid that thing. Well, uh, number four, number four, I'll come back to that. Number four, women need leadership, and I mean godly leadership. They don't need somebody to dominate them, but they want you to lead with the kids, lead with the spirituality of the family, lead with the finances, make sure they're safe, lead with romance. They don't want to always be the initiator, and, and they want you to lead with conversation. Oof. They want you to lead with the conversation. Uh, they, they want their husbands to be the loving initiator of the well-being in the home. The one who is making sure, they wanna know that my husband is making sure that there is a well-being and a safe place in the home. I can tell a difference in my home when I walk in and my kids shift because the, the loving authority is in the house. I can, see, I can see a peace and a calm that takes over. It doesn't, it's not always peaceful. It's chaotic, but it's a lot different than when it's just mama and the kids. And they want that. They need that. They need the attentiveness towards that. Uh, see this. They feel secure, and it makes them feel that you are well-connected to them and well-connected to the family. Uh, men, women have their kids and their family on their mind almost 80% of the day, if not more. And they want to know, they want to feel safe knowing that you are leading them well and you have you have them in your mind in all the decisions that you're making as well. So we're just different. So when your, your spouse comes up and, and tells you they, what they need, our tendency is to respond with rejection or shame or translate that into what we actually need. So you can just imagine this, and let me give you a little illustration. You go to a restaurant and your favorite restaurant and you sit down and you and your wife are there and you're sitting across the table and the waiter walks up and says, hey, what would you like? Good to see you guys again. Well, um, I'm feeling like I want a splurge, I want a little cheeseburger and fries and a Coke. And the waiter's like, mm, no, 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 I'm not really feeling that, try, try again. 
a pizza. I guess I, I mean I guess I'll take a pizza. I'm just kind of you know trying to get some comforting a pizza. I'm like no, I only really serve what I feel like serving that day, and I really don't feel like pizza. And besides, you look a little bloated. <laughs> I think you'll have salad. <laughs> what just happened? Welcome to marriage. Your spouse is coming in ordering one thing and you're trying to deliver another. Or you're coming in ordering one thing and your spouse, you're thinking they're going to deliver another. I just want what I want. Why are you changing my order on me between here and the kitchen? Why won't you just let me have what I want? It's because of translation. It's a miscommunication. I want to give you what I want you to have. But your spouse needs what they need. They need to shop in your store, and you need to shop in their store because you need what they have. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? When your spouse is communicating with you that they need what, uh, they, what they need, you can't translate it into what your needs should be. When your wife says she just wants to be held, she just wants to be held. So a marriage only works when you serve not your spouse according to your needs, but you serve your spouse according to their needs. And I know I'm, I'm dr drilling this thing home. It's hard to understand. We have to understand and be able to interpret what they need truly and what they want truly is what they need. So when you first started dating, you did 13,000 things that you really didn't like, but you act like you like them. Oh, I just love going and getting her flowers, and I just love going and doing her, you know, getting her, her, her clothes, and, and I just love doing her laundry. You liar. You lie. You love the benefits. Somewhere along the way, you just quit. But number two is this, enjoy serving your spouse. So enjoy serving your spouse and do it with a joyful attitude. And don't just do it, just do it. Don't do it begrudgingly. Do it with a joyful attitude. And here at Thrive Community Church, one of our core values is to choose joy. I can be unhappy about a lot of things. While in the midst of a snowstorm, in the midst of COVID-19, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to choose joy. It sure does make things a lot easier and a lot better when I choose in the middle of a difficult time or doing something that I don't like to do to choose joy anyway. When you serve your spouse with a joyful attitude, it communicates love, value, and acceptance as well as priority. Oh, it's okay. It's not a problem. It's my pleasure. Sure, I'll go do that. Hey, will you do this on the 13th thing that day already? Sure, yeah, absolutely, no problem. But the moment you twitch, I ain't, no, no. You just lost a day and a half. You might as well just go ahead with joy to do that thing that they're asking to do to make your life and everybody else's life around you that much better. So the number one reason uh, I'm alive is to serve Jesus. And the number two reason I'm alive is to serve Allie Harrington. Everything that I do, every decision, every investment, every choice, every time I work out, every, everything that I do for my life going forward has an idea, has a mention, has a thought of how this is going to affect Allie Harrington, how I can serve. Serving your wife and your spouse doesn't mean you just go around and just do everything that they need everywhere and, and, and make sure that they're okay and everything. No, that's not serving. That's that's mothering, that's hinting, that's, that's surrounding, that's micromanaging. Loving and serving your spouse is making sure in every decision you are keeping them in mind and making sure that this is going to affect them positively and not negatively. You're keeping them involved with the details they need to know so that you can lead them towards a better, more productive, and successful life in every domain of life. Emotional well-being spiritual well-being, financial well-being, safety and security in the home, the, the, the sense and the security of family and strength of the family. Every area of life, we're considering the spouse, one another. 
She's not, she's, not a, a, she's not the ball and chain. She's not a burden to me. Your spouse can't be a burden. She's not a distraction. She's the one that God has given me to serve. And as I'm making decisions, as I'm moving forward, I'm serving her through those. The more, that I, the more I'm able to love her that way, the more open she becomes towards me. The more, the more love she receives, the more I can actually give to the church. The better I take care of her, the more things flourish outside of her. Logic says, well, if I can take care of all of these things, then it's taking care of her. And when she gets upset, well, now she's just a distraction. She's keeping me from being all that God wants me to be. And that's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie that many believe. But when you come around and serve your spouse, he or she, when, women, when you come and serve your husband well, then there's favor and there's blessing that goes out from there and vice versa. Women, men, when you come and serve your wife well, they want you to go out and do the things that you had desired to do in the beginning. When they feel peace, when they feel, feel a sense of, of security, but when you grudgingly serve your spouse, it communicates rejection, low value, and they are not a priority. And this happens through shaming, through eye rolling, through body language, through disrespectful facial expressions, through half-hearted efforts, just doing things to get by just for the sake of doing it. Nothing speaks disrespect to a man, man more than that. And nothing speaks insecurity to a woman more than just feeling like you're just tending my needs and not taking care of me. Uh, negative comments, comparison, spiritualizing things, Oh, I can't serve you. God's just got me doing all these things right now, and I, I just, I'll get to your needs as soon as I can. But right now, the most important thing I can do is serve God with all these people. No? God is giving you your spouse to serve per, first. Then from that, the abundance, you get to serve everybody you desire to serve. Oh, I just can't serve you right now. I've got to spend three hours in prayer. I'm so sorry. I just hope you can get the kids to school and all that. No? No? That's not taking care of your spouse first. We should never sin and not meet the needs of our spouse. And short of sin, we should do anything it takes to meet their needs. Number three is reject scorekeeping and do what you do with a spirit of grace and faith. Reject scorekeeping. Well, I did that, last, I did that for you last time. You're gonna do it for me this time. Well, this, I've done this three times in a row. I've gone to the store to get the baby milk three times in a row. No, it's your turn. Reject scorekeeping. <laughs> First Peter 2.21 says this, For this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. The example Jesus left for us was that while we were sinners, he was on the cross dying for you and I to serve us, to you serving us with eternal life. The first thing Peter talks about after this statement is marriage. The context within, within the conversation, the verses also tell us in the, how in the difficult, most difficult situations of marriage, husband, here's how you are. Wives, here's how you are to be. In the most challenging, when your wife is annoying you and she won't be quiet, when your husband is a jerk and he is arrogant and won't get off the chair and do anything, Peter says, like Christ, as he died for you so that you can have eternal life, here's how you handle those situations. First Peter 3, 1 and 4 says, wives, likewise, when he's an ad attitude problem, <laughs> be submissive to your own husbands. <laughs> then, if you then if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, reverence for the Lord. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair and wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. By the way, pause. A lot of times we think that's the response. Well, I'm just not pretty enough. I need to look prettier. I need to put a little bit more makeup on. They do my hair, that little curl, little, little twirls that go around the side and some pearls on. No. 
You need to be submissive in honoring your husband because he feels dishonored and he feels a little bit shamed as well. But rather, let it be hidden, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Whew. Which this is very precious in the sight of God. Remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we said Proverbs 21 says, it's better to live in the corner of a house than with a contentious wife. No, 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 Paul's me, no, no, no. It's better to just go hunting, live in the wilderness than when a, with a contentious and angry wife. Well, God says in the New Testament, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, submissive. When they're acting like a jerk, oh, okay, baby, I love you. I just want you to know everything's gonna be okay. With a, of a gentle and a quiet spirit, not a nagging, contentious, argumentative, angry spirit, very, which is very precious in the sight of God. Hey, I'm just telling you the word. Don't be mad at me. What, what it's saying is when your husband is, not act, husband is not acting right, then treat him well. Treat him well. To serve him gently with a quiet spirit, to respect your husband and treat him better than he deserves. Do you know that you put out a fire? Will you treat a spirit with an opposite spirit? When you try to fight fire with fire, you just have a bonfire. And when you got a bonfire in the house, the house burns down. But when you start confronting a spirit with the equal opposite spirit from Christ, it disarms the spirit in the house. Honor is something very, something very powerful to a man, and it will change our behavior to the very, very person who is giving us the honor. All it takes is putting honor back into the situation. So wives, if you want to change your husband, don't treat them with disrespect. Treat him with respect, and even more so, better than he deserves. Well, now men... You don't go off easy. I'm going to leave it with you. First Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You cannot disassociate the way you treat your wife with your relationship with God. Because if you're not taking care of your wife's needs, then God's not hearing your prayers. And if you feel distant from God, it is a direct correlation with your relationship with your wife. It says to live with your wife with understanding. What does that mean? I mean, she's different. She is actually normal. And it takes a little energy and effort to figure out what it is that she needs outside of your basic needs. You may not like it, but you need to understand that she is just different than you. It also says, like a weaker vessel. What does that mean? It doesn't mean, God, women are not weak, by the way. Uh, God made them a little bit physically weaker, less strength, rather, and he did this so that they wouldn't take over the universe. Women, women are, have strength, but he says to treat them like a fine china. Don't handle them roughly and toughly and harshly. Treat them gently with understanding. Be kind to them. And you cannot disassociate the way you treat your wife with the relationship, your relationship with God. And the context in this is when she is on your nerves. At the end of your wits, she won't quit asking questions. Here you go. If you fight fire with fire, you're just going to get a bigger fire. Redemptive love puts out the fire. And you're, you're not doing what I want you to do, but I'm going to do what Jesus did for me when I wasn't doing what he wanted me to do. It's, marriage is sacrificial. It means in spite of what you're going to do, I'm going to be obedient to the word of God. In spite of how you're acting, I'm going to honor God. And when we honor God, it disarms the situation and God is able to work in the marriage and he is actually able to make your marriage look like him. But when two people are at each other, throwing fire on fire, it looks nothing like him. Serving, I'll give you some keys, serving puts, puts us in our most powerful position to influence each other. 
And serving redeems our spouse and changes the spirit of the relationship. I have watched women submissively, kindly start to hold back words that they used to tell towards their spouse, and now their spouses are in church and saved. Yeah. Number four, vigilantly protect the priority of your marriage and the time and energy to serve your spouse. The reality, uh, the reality of priority is who you serve the most, serve the first, and serve the best is actually who has priority in your life. If you are telling me that I'm first, then I should be getting the best. If I'm first, I should be getting the attention. If I'm first, what you are putting your efforts towards should be to bless me along with you. If I'm first, one of the one of the things that often endanger a marriage uh, the most are not bad things. Most oftentimes, they're good things out of priority. So you can be doing very good things, and your marriage is is out of alignment because you are putting good things, these good things, as a priority over your spouse, and they don't have to be bad things. It doesn't mean that you're 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 doing negatively, you're neglecting your marriage negatively. It just means the positive things that you are doing, they're just in the wrong place. They've, gotten, they've taken priority, and that's the place for your wife. And if you don't train your children, in fact, to respect your marriage, you won't have a marriage. Children don't care. Children will overrun you. They will take advantage of you. They will, they will zap all of your energy all day long, and by the end of the day, you have nothing left to give your spouse, and you're wondering, well, what's going on? Why is my marriage this way? Children, they don't give a, they don't, they, they don't care. Make a, it doesn't make a difference to them how your marriage is. As long as all their needs are getting met, they're fine. But they need boundaries. They need to be told, here's the boundaries, here's where they are, here's what's set, and don't overrun these boundaries. Because every time they do, they are negatively affecting the marriage, which ultimately negatively affects the family. They'll be saying there, I'm thirsty. We'll give you a drink and see if you can survive till tomorrow. Well, I got to go potty. That's why you got a diaper. Try it out. You know, <laughs> well, I, I'm scared there's a monster in my room. Well, great. You got somebody to talk to. <laughs> go, back, go back to your room. <laughs> you, you have to create disciplines for your marriage and vigilant, vigilantly protect them. If you don't, everything in your life will be zapping energy from you because you don't have any boundaries in life. And all of a sudden, you'll be saying, well, when we get through this season... And then when we get through this season, well, if you can't do it through this season you're in, it doesn't matter. There's no promise you will make it to the next season. Five, expect to be blessed and don't get discouraged and give up. Matthew 23, 11, 12 says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And he and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Philippians says that Jesus became, Jesus, because he came and took the form of a bondservant, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name. And if you will humble yourself and serve your spouse, God will exalt you and you will have a healthy, thriving, great marriage. Every great marriage is a servant marriage. And following, uh, following, this last worship song, we always have an altar team up here. And I, I want to encourage you to use this as a moment to grab your, your spouse's hand. And I want to encourage men across this room to say, you know what? I haven't been doing it right. But I'm going to make an effort to put energy towards our marriage again so I can meet your needs. It starts with the man. The desire in every woman's heart right now is, oh, I hope he does it. I, ho I, ho I hope he'll do this. Because they're needing, man, they're needing you to lead them well. Create safe space. Let them know that they are priority and that they are not the adventure of your life, but they are on the adventure of a lifetime. So I wanna pray for you, and I wanna invite you at the end of this service, at the last worship song, to come forward. 
Or stay at your chair and just grab your wife's hand and say, now's the time. Now's the time. So, Father, we just, today, we pray for broken marriages. We pray that as you identified these keys, Lord, that you unlocked some understanding for people to be able to know how to go back home and start serving their spouses. That you helped us to identify how normal our spouse truly is and that their needs are not my needs. Father, I pray for the hurts and the wounds that are in every relationship. I pray for open and honest, clear communication. I pray for those who have yet to find or to be married. I pray for the hope to be set in their hearts that they will find the one, the right one, who that will say yes to them every day in making them priority over everything in life, who will serve them and that they will serve. Father, I pray for those who have gone through broken marriages. Pray that you restore their hope yet again. And give them hope, Lord, that they, there is the right individual out there for them. Father, I pray for healing in every one of our hearts over relationships, struggles, problems, hurts. And Father, Father we ask that the selfishness of the heart begin to subside so that every marriage can begin to look like Christ and his church. Father, we pray for those who have just come to know you or are coming to know you. Right now, just pray for a measure of faith that they commit to a lifetime of loving and serving you and receiving the grace of salvation in this place today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. And amen.